I'm always seeing things on the news and thinking that can't be right, can it? Listen to the KYW News Radio in depth podcast and make it make sense. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. So, Sabrina, are there any stores that you went to as a kid that are just not there anymore? I mean, any video store. Like, I don't know that I went to Blockbuster very often, but there was a local video rental store that was such a thing, and now it's not at all a thing. I remember going to Blockbuster because there was one right around the corner from my house where every Friday night that was a thing, and when they started renting video games out of there at a certain point, I'm of that age where there are a bunch of stores. There are places like Montgomery Ward that were around that aren't anymore. Sears, I guess Sears is just about gone. It's still there, but you don't have a Sears it on exists, it. It exists, but it's not the same. It's, yeah. it's not the same. The Toys R Us pops into our heads. Kmart is now, unfortunately, on that list as well. Another Kmart is shutting down on April 16th in Avenel, New Jersey, leaving only three in the country. Now, there is, if you are in New Jersey and want to hit up a Kmart, there is one in Westwood, New Jersey. There's another one on Long Island in Bridgehampton. And there's a third one in Miami. But that's it. There's three left, and that they're, they're done. I can't believe there's only three Kmarts left in the entire country, and that one of them is in New Jersey. But... I don't know why Kmart didn't make it when places like Walmart did. I guess it's just like survival of the fittest, you know? I mean, I'll pour one out for Kmart. The, the, the blue light specials and layaway was always a big thing <laughs> as a kid. Those of us who went to Kmart, layaway, especially around Christmas time, it was definitely clutch. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd Circa. And April is National Minority Health Month. And this week is Black Maternal Health Week. Now, it's far too common that black people and other people of color don't get the medical care they need or deserve. So we're going to talk about that today with KYW News Radio's Community Impact Reporter and the host of Bridging Philly, Raquel Williams. But first, the city of Philadelphia has reinstated the indoor mask mandate. Now, KYW's John McDevitt listened in on that press conference this afternoon. And John, what's the story about this? What do we need to know, including why is this happening again? Well, Philadelphia's health commissioner, Dr. Cheryl Bettigall, she says the COVID-19 numbers are up, and that means masks will have to uh, be up indoors starting uh, next Monday, April 18th. Uh, Philadelphia is going from the all-clear level to a mask precaution level, she says, because COVID-19 numbers are up. 142 new cases, 50% higher than 10 days ago. Uh, there have been 46 hospitalizations, and uh, Dr. Benegal says that uh, if we don't act, uh, the past shows that, uh, you know, there could be a wave of hospitalizations followed by a wave of deaths. Now, I don't want everyone to start freaking out right away because these the city's going by different metrics than the CDC. According to the CDC, they still, still consider the transmission to be low here. So what are what's the city's like threshold that triggered this? Yeah, so so uh, Philadelphia is the only major city with the reinstatement of a mask mandate. Um, as you said, it's it's still far from the level that would trigger a CDC recommendation to mask. But uh, you know, Philly's daily cases are only a quarter of, of what the CDC considers at the high level. Um, but nonetheless, this indoor mask mandate uh, will be in place. Uh, uh, it will be enforced, uh, Dr. Benegal says, on Monday. And she's urging the public to start now, you know, and, and, and this, with this latest variant uh, approaching. 
uh, you know, they're hopeful that it, it won't be as strong as the first variant. Um, but you know, these are precautions and, and the metrics and the, and the trends uh, according to the city, uh, are, are why they're doing this. So it sounds like their goal is to get out ahead of another possible surge. And the health department did say that if a business requires everyone who enters to be vaccinated, then they don't have to wear masks inside. So you'll probably see that vaccine check at the doors at a lot of restaurants and bars and such again. More information, of course, is still coming down on all of this. But, John, thanks for catching us up on the latest. Thank you, Sabrina. By the way, the weather here is amazing today. After the kind of cold and raininess we dealt with last week, we certainly need this. And you're probably thinking about summer. (laughs) I mean, baseball season started, too. You're really thinking about summer. Maybe you want to rent a house down the shore. Well, you probably need to do it now and expect to pay a little bit more for it because Clay Rossiter, the managing broker at Fox Real Estate down in Ocean City, says prices are going up and the inventory is getting low. Uh, Inventory's kind of low at this point, although there are still properties to rent. Um, If if you're seeking a uh, a rental property down here at the shore, I'd say, you know, give us a call or or your realtor a call immediately um, and and at least get your name on their list because sometimes cancellations occur and new inventory crops up. It's the yearly struggle down the shore when it comes to this thing. Yeah, I mean, it does feel like those prices go up every year, especially this year, given the housing market. This shouldn't be a surprise. If costs of houses go up, costs of rentals are going to go up, too. And the demand is up coming out of the pandemic. You know, everyone is ready for a vacation. I am there with you. (laughs) But that means that you're going to be fighting with a lot of people for rentals. Also, a really incredible woman just turned 100 years old last week. Her name is Ruth Wilson. If you haven't heard of her, she's one of 600,000 African-American Rosie the Riveters who went to work to help our country during World War II. Now, Ruth worked at the Navy Yard here in Philadelphia, helping to build the USS Valley Forge aircraft carrier. Antoinette Lee spoke with Ruth about turning 100 years old. Well, I really don't feel any different than I did when I was 70. So I don't even know how I got here because I don't feel like I'm 100 years old. Her claim to fame came later in life, just a few years ago, when filmmaker Gregory Cook began his mission to highlight black Rosies like Miss Wilson in his documentary called Invisible Warriors. More than 80% of black women at that time were either domestics or sharecroppers. And then to go into a shipyard or to go into an aircraft factory and do these kinds of things, that's phenomenal. And they never look back. He put me on cloud nine. Now everybody knows me. He said, I'm going to make you famous, and he has done over and beyond. Miss Wilson celebrated her centennial with a birthday party in South Philadelphia where she got a throne and the crown that she deserves. Absolutely. That sounds like such a sweet, she sounds like such a sweet old lady, but at the same time, you had to, you had to bring it back then, being a Rosie the Riveter, having to jump in and really help keep this country going because of the stories of Rosie the Riveters. So many men were taken in the draft. They had to go to war. They had to fight. And the women who were left behind not only picked up the slack, but kept this country moving. She sounds sweet, but also spunky. Like you can tell she does not sound like a frail old woman. Like she is still kicking at 100. She says her secret to growing old is work, actually, Hmm. which makes sense as a Rosie the Riveter, but just generally keeping your brain moving. Like she does crosswords. Maybe doing Wordle will get me to 100 years old. Do you think that'll help? (laughs) It will certainly help. It's like taking care of yourself, keeping your mind going, keeping your brain going. Now, black women throughout history, as well as today, continue to face significant 
and disproportionate challenges in the American healthcare system. And we'll talk about National Minority Health Month as well as Black Maternal Health Week and what those things mean and what resources are available with KYW's Community Impact Reporter and the host of Bridging Philly, Raquel Williams. That's coming up after this. I'm Jay. I'm Sabrina. We're in the middle of National Minority Health Month, and this is the beginning of Black Maternal Health Week, which are two great reasons, among many others, to focus on the health of communities of color. And Raquel Williams, the host of Bridging Philly, as well as community impact reporter here at KYW News Radio, has been doing just that. And she joins us today. Raquel, welcome back. How are you doing today? Hello. Thank you. I'm well. And yourself? I'm hanging in. It's Monday. (laughs) <laughs> it's the start yeah. it's the start of a new week and this week is focusing on black maternal health so tell us a bit about this week as well as national minority health month what's the purpose behind it and what's the particular focus for 2022 yeah um national um and Minority Health Month, uh, actually uh, Black Maternal Health Week is embedded in that. It's specifically for that reason, since it is National Minority Health Month. You know, uh, this was started back in 1915 uh, by Booker T. Washington as Negro National Negro Health Week. And it then, of course, grew. It grew uh, to promote, you know, educational efforts um, on health impact and problems uh, that impact uh uh, people of color. And of course, Black Maternal Health Week really points to the important issues of the morbidity rates or mortality rates among Black mothers and their babies in comparison to um, white women, which actually as of 2015 is 166% higher for Black women. So when we're talking about complications and in, uh, in, in pregnancy, we're talking about uh, a very, very uh, nail-biting time for a lot of Black women, knowing what the stat- the statistics are when it comes to mortality rates. Now, you spoke with Dr. Elena McDonald from Twin Sisters Docs, who gave you some pretty rough statistics on maternal health in Black communities versus white ones. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that she was talking about, she was talking about that um, Black women are three to four times more likely to die of pregnancy-related complications than white women. And there are a couple of reasons why. Of course, we bear the burden of a lot of uh, uh, different uh, comorbidities. She talked to that fact. But she also talked to the the issue of, you know, trust in the medical field. Uh, She talked to uh, the issue of women's voices, Black women's voices not being heard. We know that uh, in this country, lack of, of access to quality health care has been a major issue for years. And not only in addition to access to quality health care, you're also dealing with things such as implicit bias. You know, you go into the hospital and you are not receiving the care that you should receive because individuals who should be taking care of you have made assumptions about you, and that affects their ability to give you the quality health care that uh, African-American women should get every time they go into the hospital. We've often heard of, you know, in the past of people talking about, you know, and they've even done studies on this that, you know, they, for some reason, our pain, the pain of black women seriously in hospitals and in medical settings, for some reason just isn't measured the same or just not taken as seriously. I don't understand that completely, uh, but it continues. Um, and that, that, that remains to be a problem. Which is absurd, because if you ask me, I feel like black women are some of the strongest people who could who could and do put up with the most struggle and pain out of anybody. So if they're complaining, 
That's you've a got blessing. to take it seriously. It's a blessing and a curse though, Sabrina, because yep. for some reason, you know, we're not super people. You yep. know, our pain is a pain. Our, our pain at number eight is the same per- person's pain at number eight, you know, regardless of color or background. So when we say this is happening, this really is happening. We say our pain is at a 10. It's not, oh, well, they can endure it. They're, you know, she can endure it. That's fine. She'll, she'll be okay. Right. No, because our voices really have to be heard. There are reasons why we're coming to you with specific uh, issues and pay attention, pay attention. You hear a lot about the disparities being, you know, in access and cost and insurance and things like that as well. But from from listening to Bridging Philly, Dr. McDonald seems to say that it, that's clearly not just it because these disparities are seen at every socioeconomic level, right? In all actuality, when it comes to maternal mortality, socioeconomic status does not decrease that risk for African-American women. So me, you know, I am classified as an educated woman, you know, in, in, in a higher socioeconomic status. If I walk into the hospital to have a child tomorrow, and then I am still three to four times more likely to suffer severe complications than a white counterpart. So do you think that it has more to do with that trust, doctors believing, people not being willing to go to doctors because of this history of bad treatment? Yeah, trust really does have an issue with it. And, you know, what's interesting is I spoke with Salima McNeil. She's executive director of the Ocean Family Center in Philadelphia, and she brought up uh, someone that I'd forgotten about, and that's Dr. Marion Sims. He was, he used enslaved women's bodies to practice uh, gynecological, uh, uh, you know, exercises on them. He performed surgeries on their bodies, no anesthesia, no nothing. And so here we are again, talking about something that's rooted back in during enslaved times that are that's still affecting us today as far as trust, right? It's amazing. And you, you mentioned the Ocean Family Center because they focus on maternal health as well as mental health too, which that ties into everything. As we especially we've learned over the last 10, 15 years, mental health is pretty much locked in with everything else we deal with. What are some of the mental health challenges that are addressed for pregnant women and new mothers? Oh, well, they're the same, yeah, for all mothers of all races. You're talking about depression. Um, you're talking about, of course, after the baby's born, postpartum depression. Uh, and you're talking about all of the anxieties that go along with bringing a new life into the world. It's its a tremendous amount. Uh, you're a ball of emotions. And so that's where um, something like a doula could help. Uh, a doula is a person that really helps mom along uh, as far as mental support and, and being there for her and listening to her needs and things of that nature, um, as opposed to a midwife. And a midwife is where they're actively involved in the birthing process. They support mentally as well, but they're they're trained medically and they're involved in that um in the birthing process as well. And it's great to have one of the two or both because they can advocate for you during that whole process when you're in the hospital and you're a ball of emotions and you can't really make your own decisions <laughs> or you know you need to be informed of something or you need to ask a question and you just you're all over the place. That's when someone you know, can advocate for you, whether it's a midwife or the doula, really a doula can really do that in that role. So I've actually met Salima McNeil for a story that I did. Uh, I don't even know how long ago at this point, but she was raising money to provide free mental health care to the black community when the pandemic first started. And I talked to her a bit and heard 
that she got into all of this because of her own birthing experience. Raquel, did she tell you what that was like? She did. She did. 16 years ago, she survived uh, a traumatic birthing experience when she was giving birth to her son. She was taken to the doctor. You know, doctors visited about 37 weeks and she recalled being in the office for a long time, maybe hours. And no one's telling her why she's there so long and what's happening. And it ended up that uh, when she was called a cab. She was handed an envelope and placed in the cab and saying, you're going to go to the hospital <laughs> um, and they're going to run some tests. Of course, this raises your blood pressure even more. Well, she found out that when she got there, um, her blood pressure soared to, I think it was one, uh, sorry, 208 over 150 something. It was extremely high. She was within stroke range. And there we're talking about something that affects uh, Black women 60% more than it does white women, and that is preeclampsia. It's a dangerous form of gestational uh, hypertension, and the placenta can separate from the uterus, and that causes a lot of problems. It can also cause stroke uh, for the birthing mother as well. And that's unfortunately very common for Black women. Now, I, I, I would be remiss sitting on this podcast with two Black women on it. And I, I mean, my experience as black men, black men, we deal with our own set of issues when it comes to health care. We've got that historically. Sure. And probably without going into too much detail between the two of you here, I have two black women here. Have either of you ever felt like your doctor never did not listen to you or didn't take your pain seriously? Because I know just from hearing about this issue, my mother nearly died giving birth to me. So it's like just thinking about that just makes me wonder, what have you two dealt with? Just under, get an understanding of how real this can be. I don't mind sharing at all. Um, I can say I love my OBGYN. Um, he, he's been with me since, geez, well, for 20 years. So he's from soup to nuts. He knows my entire history. My problems really came into play when I was in the hospitals. I had four miscarriages. And that right there alone, if you have a baby after four miscarriages, you, you already know what a mother is possibly like. For every step of the way, I was a complete wreck. <laughs> um, and so when anything is happening and you voice something, you want everything checked. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? And then some of the hospital staff will kind of just, what's the best way of saying it? They don't, they don't really seem as though they care as much. And they didn't, for me, in my particular instance, and it seems as though they were kind of putting my, my, my fears and feelings to the side and not really addressing them uh, appropriately. They should know my chart, know my history. This woman had four miscarriages. She is a bundle of nerds. Let's, let's just address her issues and calm her down and let her know what's happening step by step. So I did feel like my voice wasn't completely heard. And like I said, my history should let them know, all right, let's treat her a little different because she's got a lot going on. Yeah. Wow, Raquel, I'm really sorry to hear that. I haven't had any really major medical things to deal with myself. I don't have kids, but I do worry about that because I want to have kids someday in the not very distant future. And pregnancy scares me enough to begin with. Like, honestly, it is one of the things that scares me most about life. I still want to go through it. But I've heard so many stories, and to think that on top of just what your body's going through, you might not be taking seriously, that's really frightening. It <laughs> seems like the effort isn't always there. Raquel, for one, I'm, for one, I'm, I mean, I'm certainly sorry that you went through that. I'm guessing this obviously is one more reason why this feels almost kind of personal to you to, to, to talk about a story like this and dealing with Black Maternal Health Week. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it is. And I think this week is an important week because it gets the conversation going. Conversations like this, you would never know that I had this experience. If you open it up to other people, we're not alone. There's a lot of women walking around with experiences uh, that we could share among each other. And hopefully, you know, all these conversations can lead to better outcomes. Now, of course, for um, National Minority Health Month, we're talking about getting everybody to the doctor. Now you have celebrities doing commercials saying, check up on your health. And they're sitting in the doctor's office and they're, and, and they're getting their health checked. And you go, and I'm wondering, wait a minute, we're not going to the doctor? I mean, really, this is why I did this story because I couldn't believe that there are so many of us that just don't have yearly preventative checkups or because they want more money and they don't want to pay the insurance, they forego the insurance and say, I need my money. I need to keep my money. I'm not going to deal with that. And then they just use the emergency room for, you know, their doctor, which of course also strains the health system. But, you know, that's the choice that some people tend to make. Now we'll have the links for all of the information down in the episode description, as well as on Twitter at the John cast. Plus you can hear more about black maternal health week from Raquel, along with Sherrod A. Howard and Antoinette Lee on the latest episode of Bridging Philly. And we have to congratulate Antoinette, who announced on Bridging Philly that she's having a baby as well. Yes, absolutely. We were busting. We couldn't say anything. We knew, but we couldn't say anything. And she revealed it on the latest episode. So she's going to be a happy mama too. And of course, she has her concerns, but we all do, of course. And we didn't want to make her crazy, but it's better to be informed so that everyone knows what to do as that day draws closer. We're so happy for her and her husband welcoming a, a new baby very soon. Raquel, thank you so much for joining us, our community impact reporter and, of course, the host of Bridging Philly, which you can find on the Odyssey app or just about wherever you get your podcast. Thank you again, Raquel. Thanks, Jane. Always a pleasure. That's it for this Monday. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa. Autism Awareness Month is also the month of April, and we'll talk about that with KYW's Michelle Durham tomorrow. Have a great Monday. Take it easy out there. And make sure you get yourself set up with a doctor's appointment. Take care of your health, too. We'll see you on Tuesday.